Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this Conspiracy Unlimited Plus episode, a Pulitzer Prize-nominated investigative journalist exposes the fraudulent numbers behind the coronavirus pandemic. How does Medicare insurance cover Medicare patients in the hospital during this crisis? And he said the following to me. If... A patient on Medicare coverage shows up in the hospital with simple pneumonia, not COVID diagnosis. The hospital will get a one-time lump sum payment of $4,600. If that same patient is with pneumonia is also diagnosed as COVID, Medicare pays out a lump sum of $13,000. If they put this patient with pneumonia that's also called COVID on a ventilator, the hospital gets $39,000. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to the very first Conspiracy Unlimited Plus episode, available exclusively for premium subscribers. And if you're listening to this, which means you're a subscriber, I want to thank you for your support and extend a heartfelt welcome. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you're probably a lot like me and think there's something not quite right about what we're being told about the coronavirus. Not only the origin of the pandemic, but also about the contagion models the case fatality rate, the logic behind the quarantine, the information that's coming from the World Health Organization, the CDC, and various other public officials. 
John Rappaport has, in my estimation, been at the forefront in examining the data and questioning the official narrative. He's working around the clock, getting new information out to his readers at nomorefakenews.com. John has worked as an investigative reporter for nearly 30 years. He's written on medical fraud, deep politics, and health issues for newspapers and magazines in the U.S. and Europe, including CBS Health Watch, Spin, Stern, and L.A. Weekly. The LA Weekly placed John's name and nomination for a Pulitzer Prize for his interview with the president of Salvador University, where a military takeover had occurred. He's the author of several books, including AIDS, Inc., Scandal of the Century, The Ownership of All Life, and The Secret Behind Secret Societies. He's also produced a massive collection of his interviews with insiders and whistleblowers, available on CD-ROM, The Matrix Revealed, Exit from the Matrix, and power outside the matrix. John Rappaport, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Okay, Richard. Hanging in. I've been reading your almost daily dispatches at nomorefakenews.com. These are densely packed information bombs. Absolutely brilliant writing and research. My question to you is, when do you sleep? When I get tired enough (laughs) so that I can't keep working. That's kind of the indicator, okay, time to lie down and go to sleep, or time to get up and get back to it. So uh, I would say we've got about 10 articles lined up that we haven't been able to publish yet because uh, we've been pretty much uh, publishing two a day, almost every day now. So uh, we're a little bit backlogged, but... um, You know, I keep looking for different ways to show people the fraud if they will look at it from several different perspectives and they will see that this is not what it seems to be at all. And one of the things that you're asking readers to do is to go back to 2009 because, again, we've seen this movie before and you rely on some amazing Uh, investigative reporting that was done by former CBS reporter Cheryl Atkinson. Take us back to the swine flu pandemic, quote, end quote, uh, and and what she discovered. Okay, so in the summer of 2009, during this so-called pandemic, the CDC in America was saying that there were thousands of cases in America. But what she found out was that they had secretly stopped counting cases altogether. So they had no measure of anything, but they didn't say that they had stopped counting. So she wanted to find out what was going on, and she did. And the thing that she told me, because I interviewed her, was that almost no cases or no test samples from patients coming back from labs around the country showed any trace of swine flu or any other kind of flu whatsoever. In other words, the whole thing was a complete hoax. And and she obtained this data through, this was a a FOIA request, right? That's right. Uh, But it was also checking with state labs because the state labs in America are the ones who do a lot of the testing. So the doctors would take samples from patients, send them out to state labs, and the state labs would uh, do the tests. 
and they would report the findings. They would also report the findings to the CDC. So this is what she found out. And uh, it was startling, amazing. Uh, the whole thing was a hoax. Uh, she said upon writing an article for CBS News, the article, as you can imagine, was uh, checked and rechecked 17 different ways. I'm sure the lawyers were involved. Uh, she didn't directly accuse the CDC of staging a hoax, but you didn't have to be a genius to see what was going on. I mean, she laid the whole case out. And they published the story on the CBS News website, summer of 2009. Right. They didn't put it on the TV broadcast. They were just sort of... They were just putting it out there to see what kind of reaction, I guess, they would get. It only appeared in the online version of CBS News. That's right. But as she told me, the plan was to put it on the television news, CBS, and then that was scratched, and the whole thing was shut down. And there was no further investigation of the CDC or the issue or anything. Uh, And as I uh, discovered, no other major uh, news outlet in the world picked up on her story that had been published and ran with it and did anything with it. So that tells you something about the complicity and the ass conspiracy of major media. And then to put the capper on the whole thing, About three weeks after uh, Cheryl published her piece on the CBS News website, I found an article at WebMD, and I've cited this many times, where the CDC estimated that during the swine flu epidemic in America, there were 22 million cases of swine flu in the U.S. In other words, they doubled down after they were exposed. (laughs) Yeah, doubled, tripled, quadrupled. If one lie exposes you, tell a much bigger one. I mean, that's that's the strategy, which is exactly what they did. So my point in writing the article was, well, why should you believe anything they say now about COVID-19? You know, history matters. This is the same organization. Some of the same people are around. Uh, and it's the same M.O., Right. So that's the story. And and like then, now, of course, people are pushing for uh, a vaccine, maybe even a mandated or a mandatory vaccine. And we have Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the the face. Some some now are calling for him to be named the sexiest man alive. <laughs> and he is the, the face of the, uh, the Trump administration's task force on coronavirus. And he was the one... Uh, pushing for the the swine flu vaccine the last time. Now, what happened with that vaccine? Caused all kinds of damage in different countries, and uh, a partial ban resulted, ban of the vaccine in Australia. I mean, it was a disastrous vaccine, and it was an experimental vaccine. I mean, they they cooked it up in record time, and uh, they're trying to do the same thing now. Only this one could be much more uh, damaging because if they're going to start with a new technology altogether of vaccination, which is the rumblings that have been 
in the press for the past three months, so-called DNA vaccines, for example. This is really gene therapy. It's not a vaccine at all. And I'm not making this up. This is March 3, uh, 2015, New York Times. Permanently alters the genetic makeup of anybody who takes the vaccine, if it's a DNA vaccine. They inject genes into the body, which they claim will provoke an immune response to whatever it is they're trying to immunize people against. So, uh, synthetic genes, right? You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's the same story, only it's a lot worse. So how do these synthetic genes, uh, if that's, I guess that's what they're called, synthetic genes, how does that work or how would it work? I'm not sure exactly about all the steps, but the gene sort of, it produces, I think, or stimulates a protein in the body that mimics uh, the virus that you're trying to protect against so that the immune system is fooled into thinking it actually is the virus, mounts an immune response, which is the theory of vaccination. Uh, So that's kind of the story of how it's supposed to work. But it's never been released for public use. It's not licensed. Hasn't really undergone uh, complete testing and as far as I know, has not been even sent to the uh, FDA for approval. So, and, and yes, could be mandated. And um, let's see, maybe three weeks ago, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services issued a regulation saying that anybody connected with countermeasures to the coronavirus in terms of drugs or vaccines or devices or whatever, has complete automatic uh, freedom from any liability attached. No lawsuits, nothing, nothing, nothing. Right, which mirrors, I guess, earlier uh, legislation because you you can't you can't uh, sue vaccine manufacturers uh, anyway. Right before that, if there was an there was a there was an injury compensation court. But you can't sue the the, uh, the pharmaceutical company directly, right? Right. So it's just sort of emphasizing we mean business. Don't even think about it. And it also applies to drugs. So antiviral drugs, for example, suppose that these are toxic drugs. Suppose they start, you know, not suppose, but they're killing people. Those people's families sue. No luck. Forget it. So if if this synthetic gene uh, enters our cells and then it alters our DNA, doesn't that doesn't that change what it means to be human? Yes, it does. And it not only changes what it means to be human, but in unknown ways, because this is not predictable stuff we're dealing with here. I recently wrote an article about CRISPR, yes. which is the latest and greatest uh, tool for genetic splicing and so forth. And aside from the glitz and the, the PR, and this is the greatest thing you know ever invented, you start looking at the studies and you see that the researchers are saying, we don't really know what happens. 
because we think, you know, we make a cut in a, in a sequence of genes and we sort of, you know, stitch it together or we insert something or whatever. The process we think is finished, but it isn't. Ripples occur down the line genetically, and we don't know what's actually going on in the body. So even if they were to try, which I'm not saying that they wouldn't, let's say, uh, you know, somebody says, okay, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for trying to alter uh, humans in certain ways that uh, we would like to see them altered. And uh, we don't have to say anything about it, of course, because we couldn't. So while we're giving them the uh, coronavirus vaccine, we can slip a few extra genes in there or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, but even, you know, as horrible as that sounds, suppose you add on to that, and we have no idea what we're really doing. Right. And having because we don't know the unintended consequences of doing that. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. And haven't they already done studies with mice and they've found that even, I think you, you, you write here, um, even altering one single nucleotide uh, can cause hundreds of unintended mutations. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I mean by ripple effects. And it wasn't as if they were sitting there predicting that, you know. <laughs> this is what they realized after they had done the experiments. So, there you go. You know, people like to think, well, they really know what they're doing. Even if they're evil, they know what they're doing. And I'm saying, they're evil and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> That's the worst combination. Uh, when yeah, you're, that is the worst combination. When you're incompetent and you're also immoral, that, that equals menace to society. Uh, I love how you describe how, you know, they, they alter a nucleotide. And uh, uh, then it'll be impossible to track. I think the words you, you, you write here, it's beautiful. You said it'd be like trying to track a polar bear in a snow blizzard or a snowstorm. Yeah, that's actually a quote from somebody else, but that's right. It's the same idea. Because, you know, it's similar to diagnostic tests for the presence of a virus. People think, oh, this is a very easy thing to do. No, it's not. Because the tests don't actually climb inside somebody's body while that person's body is functioning and take a look and see uh, how much virus is actively replicating in cells of the body. Nobody can do that. These are indirect tests, even when they say they're directly testing for the virus. They're not, they're not inside the body looking at things. So in the same sense, when people are making genetic changes, they're not inside. They don't really know what's going on. They can guess 
and by their abstractions and their formula and their inferences, they can draw a picture, but they don't know. They have no idea. And the implication, the consequences in terms of human illness, changes in human behavior, say changes in human thought patterns, intelligence, etc., etc. How in the world would you be able to trace this back to the genetic experiments? I mean, even that, you know, it, it's a sea of incomprehensibility. Right. So what are you going to do? Right. And if they decide that they're going to they're going to test for uh, side effects uh, for five days and something happens on the 228th day, whatever happened doesn't exist. Exactly. And that's uh, what they always do. As short a period as possible of, uh, you know, checking results. You mentioned the, um, the testing. And so we, we um, fast forward to today and the, the PCR test. Um, you, you write about the, the, the false positives and what's, what's really wrong with the PCR test. Uh, explain why the PCR test is not an effective test. Okay, well, it is the most widespread test at the moment that's being used all over the world to diagnose cases of COVID. And therefore, the case numbers that you read about are supposedly based on this test. And what patients are being told and how they're being treated afterwards or not treated depend on the test. So this isn't just some little thing. This is major. The PCR test, as I've explained, and I've been quoting official sources on this, it can register positive for the virus because it's actually reacting to the presence of any number of other germs in the body that have nothing to do with the virus called cross-reaction. So that would render it completely irrelevant. And the testers would not necessarily know that that happened. I mean, if you had the brightest testing team in the world and they ran the test over maybe three or four times, which is very laborious to do, by the way, then perhaps they would figure out what happened. But in the current climate, no. So that's a horror story right off the bat. You know, any number of bacteria or other viruses in the body could cause the PCR test to say, this guy's infected by COVID. And it's completely false. The other major thing that the test, uh, then uh, also I've quoted, uh, in this case, I think it was the CDC, and the FDA saying a positive test for the presence of uh, COVID does not necessarily uh, label the definite cause of disease. Well, that's an admission that I found deep in their own literature that is basically saying even if you test positive and we think you've tested positive for the coronavirus, that does not mean that the virus is causing disease. <laughs> well, then what, what difference does it make? And the third basic thing I would say is 
the people who run the PCR universe will claim that they can tell you how much virus is in a person's body replicating, which is very important because unless you've got millions and millions of a virus replicating in the body, you can't even begin to talk about the possibility of somebody getting sick. It takes a whole bunch, and they claim the PCR test can measure that. And I say they're absolutely wrong, and there's other people who say they're absolutely wrong. And um, the, the fact of the matter is they have never really vetted the ability of this test to do that uh, in the real world with you, actual people you wouldn't, in you wouldn't a controlled need, trial. Wouldn't you need to take tissue samples of someone and put it under a microscope? No. I mean, if, here's how you could do it. Let's say we're going to run a real experiment, a real clinical trial. We're going to take 500 people and line them up in a row, volunteers. Some are going to be sick. Some are going to be well. It's going to be obvious who's who. Now we take tissue samples from each of those 500 people. And they're blinded, which means nobody knows who's who here. And those tissue samples are sent to a laboratory where PCR technicians run them through their procedure. And you say to the technicians, this is what we want to know in each case. What virus did you find and how much of it did you find? That's it. So they get back and they say, okay, we did the 500 patients. And here are 16 patients, and they're by the numbers, number 23, 46, 57, whatever, who have a great deal of virus in their bodies, which, according to tests, would mean in the real world these people are sick. All right. Now we unblind the 500 volunteers, and we look at those particular patients. Are they sick or are they running marathons? Okay, you would think, well, sure, that's the way to vet the test. Never been done. Hmm. Never, never will be done, never has been done, is not being done. Uh, because, why? Because the people who are behind the test, who run the test, who profit from the test, who write thousands of papers and journals based on the test, would never want to risk exposure. So what they will do is say, we don't need to run that kind of thing. We know, because we can show you in the laboratory the results indicate, no, no, I'm not interested in the laboratory. We're talking about human beings either being sick or well. You say you can tell. Prove it in this fashion I just described. Have you ever done that? Well, no. Would you do that? No. Why not? Well, we just don't want to. So the, the actual number of, of uh, cases... We'll call that the denominator. The denominator, Meaningless. right? So Meaningless. We, we have no idea what the denominator is. Uh, the no. the numerator, let's call that the the case fatality rate, and we're hearing, you know, depending on the jurisdiction, if it's northern Italy, it's it could be as high as thirteen percent. If it's uh, somewhere else, it's it's one percent. Uh, but again, we don't we, we don't have the uh, the denominator. So the 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 the, the, uh, the CFR, the case fatality rate, is really meaningless, right? Correct. But it's even worse than that because if you and people have done this now, you go down into the CDC literature, you go to Italy, you see the government's own studies being carried out by their National Institute of Health. 
And now what these people are, first of all, the CDC is basically saying, you know, if you if you assume that the person died of the virus because of the virus, as opposed to just having the virus, but actually died of something else, just say it's a case of COVID death. And in Italy, what they're saying is very tiny percentage of people are they willing to uh, assert are dying as a result of the virus. The median age of people that they're saying are dying from the coronavirus in Italy is 79.5 years old. I mean, give me a break. That's the average age. And these people, the overwhelming percentage, are suffering from at least two, maybe three serious medical conditions before this ever started. And, of course, they've been treated with toxic medical drugs for years and years and years. And there's horrendous air pollution, which causes pneumonia in the north of Italy. And they have an aged population. So the are meaningless for, you know, several reasons. Right. Now, bringing that stateside, you recently spoke with Dr. Scott Jensen, who is a a member of the uh, Minnesota State Legislature. And, and he said some revealing things to, uh, to Fox News, and, I, and you spoke to him as well, uh, which has to do with the intersection of health care and money, as you call it. What was he directed to do by, I guess, Medicare and the CDC in terms of, uh, I guess, death reports? Just what I said. In other words, he's saying... If you look at the manual that's issued by the CDC, which covers the general area of what doctors are supposed to do when they report cause of death, the CDC will tell you to be extremely specific about your findings. Don't, you know, gloss things over. However, in the case of the coronavirus, he says it's completely the opposite. They're practically asking you to gloss it over. They're saying, well, look, if you think a guy probably died of the virus and then say it's a COVID death, you know, I don't have the language in front of me, but that's what Jensen's basically saying. You know, you've got to think of this. Maybe it's that. We're not sure. The patient had other diseases. He was elderly, weakened state. He was terrified that he might have the virus. He was put on a ventilator in the hospital, isolated all alone. He died. Uh, And Jensen is saying, well, you know, I'm going to list the cause of death as respiratory arrest. But the CDC is giving me a nudge in the direction of, look, if the guy tested positive and you you think, you feel, whatever, that it's COVID listed as a COVID death. In other words, even if he's hit by a bus, which is the example you use. That's what what Jensen said, not me. Okay. Yeah, if he's hit by a bus and he tests positive, call it a COVID death. So we need to differentiate okay, now between... when it comes to money, he, yeah. he said some really interesting things about Medicare payments. Mm-hmm. And that was basically, how does Medicare insurance cover Medicare patients in the hospital during this crisis? And he said the following to me. If a patient on Medicare coverage shows up in the hospital with simple pneumonia, not COVID diagnosis, 
the hospital will get a one-time lump sum payment of $4,600. If that same patient is with pneumonia is also diagnosed as COVID, Medicare pays out a lump sum of $13,000. If they put this patient with pneumonia that's also called COVID on a ventilator, the hospital gets $39,000. Big difference. And, as you point out, some of that kicks back to the doctors because they have um, a pay share arrangement. In some hospitals, they do, yeah. Uh, and then I think there are chains of hospitals where that's the case. The doctors actually participate in the, um, you know, the revenue. So in other words, there's an incentive here for attending physicians and hospitals uh, to diagnose people as having COVID-19, collecting either a one-time payment of 13000 or if they go right to the ventilator, $39,000. And they want to get those people on the ventilator and off it as quickly as possible to make room for new patients. Yeah, because the payment for Medicare is a lump sum. doesn't matter how long the person's in the hospital. The amount of Medicare payment is not going to change. So if you're talking financial incentives here, the nudge would be in the direction of diagnose as many people possible with covid get them in and out of the hospital as fast as possible and put them on a ventilator while they're in the hospital. So for some people, the idea that that hospitals and doctors would be gaming the numbers, padding the numbers in order to profit, they'll say, well, that's that's a horrible conspiracy and who would do such a thing? How do you respond? Yeah, and there are some, many doctors who would never do that, but they're, you know, we're looking at hospitals here. <clears throat> hospitals are run by administrators. These administrators are very concerned with the bottom line. And this is Jensen suggesting this to me. I'm not trying to pull this out of him. He's a doctor and a state senator. And he's saying these are important issues to look at, financial incentives. Now, I know for a fact from years and years ago and I won't mention the chain, but this is a, a giant chain of hospitals. And there's one on the West Coast I can definitely say for sure. Uh, they will not do bypass surgeries, heart bypass surgeries. Too expensive. They have a, a pay share plan with the doctors. They just won't do it. Now, also I've been told I mean, this information was true as of a number of years ago. I don't know what's happening now. Also, as the physical year comes to a close in that hospital, the doctors become aware of the bottom line and their pay share. So naturally, they the incentive would be to handle as many patients as possible, to rake in as much money as possible before the end of the fiscal year, so the payouts to the doctors are as high as possible. Hmm. Uh, you know, we were told that if we stay indoors, uh, you know, and flatten the curve, that was the slogan 
it's on everybody's t-shirt now and their Twitter, uh, you know, flatten the curve, flatten the curve, that then, you know, we would we would prevent an, uh, a, a burden on the healthcare system and life could go back to normal more or less. Now they're not saying that anymore. They're not saying flatten the curve. They're saying break the back of the curve, crush the curve, uh, bring the cases to near zero, uh, wait for a vaccine. Uh, and, and every two weeks they say, well, maybe in two weeks. And they keep pushing it forward. We're being led around here by our nose. Uh, what do you think their, their end game is to keep us locked down for another six months if they can get away with it? You know, I don't know what they think their end game is while they're destroying the economy day by day. And I don't know if you saw the protests in Lansing, Michigan the other day, but I did. Thousands of cars drove into the city. People were fed up, sick and tired of this whole thing. I salute those people. Uh, I read an important article the other day by Jeffrey Jackson where he talked about the the effects of unemployment on health and dying. Because studies have been done about this in the past. How does unemployment, which is kind of a polite word for, you know, desperation, lead to illness and death? Let's put it out there in front, because we're not just talking about, oh, on the one hand we have this raging epidemic, and on the other hand we just have unemployment. No. Unemployment leads to illness and death. So, uh, my take is that uh, the Fauci wing of the lunatics in charge now, they want to keep this going as long as possible. The lockdown. Because they are of a mind that... Either we need the vaccine, as Bill Gates is saying, and he's got the money, or they actually believe that the practice of the lockdown is going to uh, somehow blow the virus away, and then we can go outside. But other doctors are commenting that social distancing and uh, isolation is counterproductive if you assume that we actually have an epidemic caused by a virus here. That what we really should be doing is exposing as many people as possible to the virus. Right, right. You need if That's you're going to get you get rid of it. If you're going to get herd mentality or herd immunity, rather, you need healthy yeah, people. I mean, people will become immune because right. it, you know what it comes down to is if you admit that this virus is not really lethal. I mean, I'm already in the official world with this conversation. In my articles, I say they never even proved they discovered a new virus in the first place. But for the purposes of this conversation, if you assume that there's a virus loose, is it really lethal? (coughs) Or are you just fabricating it by saying, Uh, or by covering up the fact that you have all these very elderly people that are dying, for the most part, who already have very serious illnesses. Because if you're saying, and if you will admit, as Fauci actually did, before he took it back, 
that this is like a serious flu season, which he said back at the end of February, then the strategy would be let as many people outdoors as possible, put the children back in school, let everybody get immune, forget about the whole thing. We don't need a vaccine. But Fauci is a vaccine-obsessed uh, person. And he is connected to people like Bill Gates who are vaccine-obsessed for different reasons. And so naturally, they want to promote the vaccine in every way that they possibly can. And one way to promote it is to say, the virus is too dangerous to let people out of their houses until we have the vaccine. And if they can do that, then they can say, if you want to get out of your house, you've got to have a vaccine. You've got to have an immunity certificate. Now, that's like Nazi Germany. That's like the USSR. That's like East Germany and the Stasi. That's like friggin' China. Yeah. You know, that's what that is. And we're heading in that direction already. Well, and uh, how do governors, like the governor of of Michigan, is it uh, Whitmer? Uh, uh, Sorry, uh, yeah, Michigan, uh, Whitmer, um, who is instituting some of the most draconian, right. Uh, you know, shutting down churches, shutting down protests, you know, while they're freeing uh, prisoners to stem the tide of the infection, they're throwing priests in jail. Uh, so, and where do they derive that power? Because those are, you know, those are inalienable rights in the Constitution. Uh, how does a governor of New Jersey, for example, uh, give the order to arrest people that are assembling in a church. Where does that come from? Uh, comes from a fascist mindset. You know, these people are not in power to just sit around. When you give them a reason to take action, uh, it stirs their juices and adrenaline. And, you know, power is an aphrodisiac for many people. And so when they can lock people up and they can look out and say, gee, it's nice and quiet out there, there's nobody around, everybody's locked up and it's because of me, well, a lot of people get off on that. Well, remember that experiment, that social experiment, where one half of the group uh, were supposed to be prisoners and the other half of the group were to play prison guards and what happened? Yes, indeed. indeed. Even though it was a game of pretend, the prison guards started beating on the prisoners bet you it's not that hard you know you give somebody a gun you give somebody a stick and you give somebody a badge and you say now you're in charge of these people and these people are dangerous don't ever forget that and you have to line them up and keep them in order and make sure you're watching them because they're going to do strange things if you don't you know uh But, of course, all this is under the surface. So nobody's going to come out and say, I'm power hungry and I'm getting off on this. No, they're going to say, the computer models show that we have to lock people up for another three months until we get the vaccine. And and people are hypnotized by science. 
So one of the things that I've been trying to do in all my articles is to show that the science is fake. It's not science. It's fake. And uh, more and more people are becoming aware of it. Last question, John. How is this going to end? I remain somewhat optimistic that, you know, the economy will get turned back on. This is not the end, okay? That at some point it's going to be turned back on. I can't tell you, you know, it's two weeks or a month or whatever. I was just told by a friend of mine in New York City that Governor Cuomo just extended the lockdown for another month. I mean, it's sheer insanity. So I don't know exactly how it's going to end, but the economy is going to get turned back on. And my hope is that when it is, and there's going to be a tremendous amount of human wreckage that's going to be revealed that the press is now covering up, by the way. They're not featuring those stories, and they're being told not to feature those stories. This is not an accident. You're talking about suicides and so forth. Suicides and, and so forth. Suicides and people in desperate straits and business owners that you could sit down with and say, what happened to your restaurant? Well, you know, we were on a slim profit margin as was, and now I'm bankrupt, and these people, I had to let them go, and I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know, I mean, get down to that. No, we can't, we can't feature that stuff, right? So that's all that's going to be exposed, like after a hurricane. You're going to be able to walk and see the wreckage of the businesses not reopening and the people coming out of their houses and talking about, you know, what happened to them and all of that. And what I'm hoping is that there's going to be, along with a resurge of tremendous energy, people looking back on it and saying, we got conned, we got played. Uh, There's violent criminals up there at the top, and they have to be completely moved off to the side. We can't do this again. We're not going to do this again. No more fake news.com. And uh, how do we get a hold of the uh, the Matrix series? Exit from the Matrix. It's right there at no more, fix, uh, no more fake news. People can just go to the site. I have three big collections about the Matrix, which is the reality in which uh, we find ourselves, and that has been created for us, so to speak. Uh, goes very deeply into the architecture of that and what it's all about and people can just read about it and find out they can order these collections and get on the email list as well something you mentioned in one of the articles uh john and i read all of them is uh that this isn't about being woke it's about waking up yeah woke is nothing to do with this you have to be able to think and you have to be able to follow a line of thought and then Based on the conclusion, you have to be willing to stand on that position and not just let it float away. That's a scary proposition for a lot of people who will choose health and security uh, above freedom. Yeah, that's what uh, has happened to the country. It's what happens has happened to us. And there are reasons for it, and uh, there's a history of it, uh, and... 
this is what you get when you give all that away. No more fake news.com. John, stay well. We need you like never before. Thank you so much, Richard. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Look for another Conspiracy Unlimited Plus episode coming your way this month, and I hope you continue to enjoy the back catalog. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.